everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Real Freedom Podcast, where we talk about building wealth and gaining time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. And so if you are a numbers person, if you are an analytics type person, and if you love short-term rentals, this really is going to be a great episode for you. So today we've got John Bianchi on, and we're going to talk all about data, all about short-term rentals, and what he's doing to help provide clarity to people to help make great investment decisions. And so just a little bit of a background about John. So he's living in Canada right now. Back in 2017, you helped other people and sold a $10 million investment portfolio and started an Airbnb arbitrage business at the age of 24. So do the math there. We know how old you are. But, uh, within two years, you're managing 15 cash flowing Airbnbs in Chicago. And so now that's moving into where you're at today, becoming known as the Airbnb data guy. And that's what you are and what you do. So you talk about data. You're a numbers guy. You're an analytics guy. And so we're going to dig into that today. So why don't you just go ahead and get us started and, and just kind of share a little bit more about your background and how you got to, to where you're at today. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the introduction. Um, super excited to be on this uh, podcast with you, by the way. So my background, it, it kind of bounces around a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but I did have a $10 million investment portfolio as an advisor. So, you know, that's, that's spread out around like 200, 200 clients helping them with their retirement, uh, which is mm -hmm. a fun thing to do when you're, you know, 22, 23, and you're taking care of a six-year-old's retirement fund, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was able to build that business up from 21 to 24, but realized I absolutely hated it. And so I was I was actively looking for another business to build and came across Airbnb. Um, mm -hmm. And I you know opened up a couple, uh, was able to understand the operations behind it. Then I was able to raise some money and go open up uh, quite a few more. And when mm -hmm. I say open up, I was uh, renting the homes to start off. So I actually have never purchased property, just for all your listeners to know that right yeah. off the bat, right? Um, but I, I am planning on it. I want to throw that out there. <laughs> I am actively working on it. But uh, yeah, so I did the rental arbitrage model. Uh, and then I also uh, had quite a few properties that I also managed for other people at the same time. Uh, got that up to about well, 15 locations. And then in 2020, when everything went to shit, I actually had somebody who also wanted to buy my entire portfolio, like right at the exact same time. So I consider myself lucky because I was able to actually get out of the portfolio at a, at a, at a profit. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, if I, hindsight's 2020, if I were to do it again, I probably would have just kept the portfolio, figured out a way to make it through those, you know, like six months or so. And then it would have just kept going. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so during that entire time period, uh, one thing I did extremely well was understand the Airbnb data that was out there. So there's a site called AirDNA. Um, it has all of the data. A ton of it is bad data. Like 80% of it is bad data. Um, and you really have to understand exactly like how to comp properties because comping properties in the Airbnb space is outrageously difficult. It's not like the long-term uh, rental space at all. Mm -hmm. uh, like the, like as an example in Blue Ridge, Georgia, if you have a beautiful cabin with an absolutely stunning view, you'll make $50,000 more than if that exact same cabin were to be with no view. So a view makes $50,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's insane to think, but it's true. So um, helping people so anyways, I was able to figure out this process of how to actually sort through this data. I sold my portfolio and I'm like, I'm going to maybe build a course to teach other people how to do, use this data. Um, and so I did that and I had no idea how to sell it. So I put onto YouTube for free and it mm -hmm. literally just like I let it sit out there and almost 10,000 people have gone through it now. Um, but from that, I had so many people reach out to me for like advice, help, whatever, uh, that I actually turned into another business altogether called Point Analytics, where I help people 
uh, with Airbnb. So it's an Airbnb data, or sorry, Airbnb data. So I help people with Airbnb data um, and help them find the most profitable Airbnb in their location and ensure that their investment gets the most uh, return, the highest possible return. And ensuring that they don't lose any money. That's really like my whole thing is making sure you don't buy or sign a lease that is not going to be profitable because the vast majority of homes honestly are better off as long-term rentals than short-term rentals. So you got to be strategic. And it's it's getting even harder with the new interest rates. Just for people that maybe are are newer to the short-term rental space or haven't heard about it, Airbnb arbitrage. I want to I want to just quickly touch on that for people that don't understand it. So Airbnb arbitrage is, is essentially you see an opportunity in the market. You've got somebody who's already owning a property and you can come in and, and lease that property from them and run an Airbnb business out of it and make profit off of it without ever owning the property. And so it's finding the right person. And you're essentially that middleman. You don't have to buy it. You can make money off of it. And the landlord's happy because they're getting their rent. You're happy because you're getting everything above and beyond that. And so that's where, where you can benefit through Airbnb arbitrage. So exactly. Yeah, that's that's what arbitrage is. And out of the three different options, which I can explain three options, arbitrage is without a doubt the worst option. However, it is the best first option, right? Yes. It's the best way to gain experience. So the, the reason it's the worst option is because you have to sign a lease, which means you're taking on that liability. Plus, you have the utilities, the cleaning, the, the Netflix subscription, all, all the amenities, like those are all liabilities, right? And, and yep. you're not gaining any equity uh in that property. And it's really hard to sell one of those leases. I've done it. It's difficult, right? So mm-hmm. to sell that like contract, because it's really just a lease. Um, and you also have to put up like somewhere between five and $20,000 for the furniture, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the units, right? So taking out a whole bunch of liability and you got a, a upfront uh, expenses as well, investment, right? And so um, it's the worst option. Whereas if you compare that with managing, when you manage somebody else's property, they buy the furniture, you just manage it. You take, you know, 20% of all of the revenue that comes through mm-hmm. and uh, you have no upfront investment. And so you just like are taking whatever comes through. So th- that's, that's definitely a better option. But the third option of actually owning it is hands down the best without a doubt, because you actually uh, gain, you know, net worth by uh, inequity from that property and you can have it long-term and you can do whatever you want with it. And there's a lot more control and, 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 and options with that. So yep. yeah, I just want to explain those three options real quick. Well, and that's interesting for people to know too, because there's a lot of buzz out there about short-term rentals and, and Airbnb. And for people to understand, you know, especially people getting started or people maybe who don't have access to, to money themselves, here's some low-cost options to get started, to get your feet wet, to get comfortable. And yeah, you did a great job of laying out the kind of the positives and the negatives of each, but you don't have to you know, buy, you You see these stories of people buying a, a million dollar property. And it's like, well, okay, if I'm going to put 20% down, I need to have $200,000. I don't have $200,000. Therefore I shouldn't start. And the answer is no, there's lots of opportunities to get started. You just have to understand the positives and the negatives each. But like you said, managing is a great opportunity to get in, get comfortable, get your feet wet. You're helping other people and you're not putting up your own money. Um, and then the arbitrage piece, yeah, you're taking on some risk. You don't get to see the high side benefit of the the appreciation, being able to sell that asset down the road too. Um, but then, yeah, there's the the purchase, which provides a lot of great opportunity for people. Yeah, hundred percent. And the 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 route I always tell people. So, like, if you're wondering which option I should t- you should take, right? It's not a matter of like which one, but it's a matter of all three at different times, right? So, like, if you have absolutely no experience going up to somebody who has a home and saying like, Hey, I'll manage this for you. Give me 20% of everything. They're going to go, you have no idea what you're doing. Why would I trust you? Why am I going to do this? Right. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why arbitrage is usually the one you do first because it allow you're you're paying to get that experience, right? The only other option is is going up to somebody with a vacation rental saying, "Hey, I'll manage your property for free. Let me do it for free so I can figure out the operations, and then I'll you know you're going to be able to get your next contract because pe- someone's going to believe that you can actually do it because you have some proof, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know those are the two sort of options to get started. But then once you're going, um, you know, management contracts, you can pick up all day, but you should really only pick up the rental arbitrage contracts unless the data 100% says that it's going to be a good cash flowing property for you. And it makes sense to put that investment in there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And if you don't have that like 1000% confidence in it, pick up another management contract and wait for the next one to show up. And then while you're doing that, keep building up your reserves. And so you can start buying the properties and really building your net worth over years. So for somebody looking to get started here, looking to make to make their first purchase, I'm here in you know Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and it's like, okay, I live in a community where it snows, it's cold, we have some lake cabin opportunities. I've heard stories of people in all different states. And so I think sometimes people can get a little bit paralyzed thinking about here's the entire United States or, or even the world, maybe, well, and Canada, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so we've got a large swath of, of opportunity here. How in the heck do I get started? How in the heck do I find a place that's going to work for me? Yeah. Easiest, super easy, especially if you're just getting started and you're not trying to spend a ton, stay local. Like I can't stress that enough. Just find something local even if it doesn't make you a million dollars, you know what I mean? And it barely, like if you just are losing money on it or if you're, you're, you're barely breaking even, like whatever, Air, like Airbnb is so different. There are so many little operational nuances to an Airbnb and to understand how those things work, there's a huge learning curve. If you're mm-hmm. trying to get to figure out that learning curve with a place that's five hours away or even like on the other side of the country, it is going to be hell. I, I opened up two homes in Scottsdale from Chicago after already having 10 places and it was absolute hell to try and make that work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you're staying local, like just stay local, find a place local, find somebody maybe that, you know, and, and like open it up and get your experience. I actually started by having uh, a spare room in my, in my apartment and Mm -hmm. I just rented out the spare room. And that's literally how I gained my experience. And so Mm -hmm. it it was completely free. And I, and I was able to, you know, cover my rent, I was barely making any any money from it, but I learned a ton from it. And it's like expanded into everything that I've been able to do now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so stay local when you're first getting started. Once you get your, your, your a little bit more of an understanding, I always recommend go somewhere that you actually like to go. You know what I mean? This is a vacation rental. You can yep. use it as a vacation rental. When yep. people are like, where should I go? I just want to go anywhere. It's like, no, you don't want to go anywhere. If you hate the snow, then don't go where the snow is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like for myself personally, I love like the the Arizona, Sedona, uh, Zion, like those places are so cool to me. Yosemite. So like I would put way more effort into an area like that. Like I would be drawn to want to make the best Airbnb or make, you know, do whatever out in that area way more than I would want to do something in Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm, I'm somewhat close to Michigan. <laughs> right. right. Um, and yeah. so anyways, that's, that's, uh, that's my advice when you're thinking about it that way. Well, and even too, I mean, you can utilize a second home mortgage to be able to get a lower down payment. So if I'm looking to go somewhere, now there is stipulations around that you have to spend a certain amount of time there. But like you said, if it's a place you want to go, like for me in, in Minnesota, 
you know, going down to Florida. Yeah. I think you can convince me to spend two weeks in Florida each year, especially in January and February when it's cold. So you, that's the, that's the beauty of the asset that you own is you have the ability to go down and visit it. Yeah. You may, you're not going to be able to have bookings during that time, but you can get a mortgage. And so obviously check with your lender first. (laughs) You know, I'm not, I'm not making promises here, but check with your lender, but a second home mortgage is a great way to do that where you can maximize a lower down payment have a vacation home now that you have to go for for you know two weeks out of the year to be able to fulfill that and be able to make income the other 50 weeks out of the year. You know, what what else would you recommend for people? How else can we get started? Or if we're we're now looking at a, an additional spot, where would we want to go? Yeah. So there's sort of a uh three-step operation. Like I, I try and make it as simple as possible. Think about getting it started with three steps. First, figure out the regulation because there's tons of regulation absolutely everywhere. And you have to make sure that it's actually legal where you wanna go. So figure out the regulation at step one, step two, figure out the data, and step three, figure out the operations. So I don't recommend trying to understand how to operate an Airbnb until you actually have the Airbnb, right? So do everything you can to figure out the regulations, which will, you know, shouldn't take too much time. The data is where you wanna spend the majority of your time to actually understand where is a good spot to buy, and then you can figure out the operations. Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm I mentioned it in that order is because that's that's the step you have to take. But when it comes to the data, um, think about it in a demand sense, right? So hotels are in a lot of places, but they're not absolutely everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So when I say demand, you with your opening up an Airbnb, it's essentially a hotel, and people have to be traveling wherever you're going to be going, which seems super simple, but like it's the reality is what I'm trying to say here is like find the places where majority of people are traveling, where there's nonstop travel where people are gonna continue to keep traveling for years and years and years, right? Mm -hmm. So like the easiest example of this is national parks. People are gonna keep going to national parks. National parks aren't going anywhere. Disneyland's Mm -hmm. not going anywhere, right? Like beaches aren't going anywhere for the most part. Rising tide's not gonna help, but (laughs) all these things, these are these things like those are sort of the things you wanna be thinking about, right? Um, I may sound very like obvious, but you know, sometimes people be like, well, I wanna go, you know, look at, um, they'll name like, I don't know, like Indianapolis. Indianapolis just does not have a lot of tourism demand. You know what I mean? It just really doesn't. So like, there's not a lot of money being spent on Airbnbs in that area. And then therefore, it usually makes more sense to have a long-term rental there than a short-term rental there. If you compare that directly with like Nashville or Austin, where there's just a crazy amount of uh, short-term demand for people going for bachelorette parties and, and bachelor parties, like, you know, that's that's how you kind of have to think about it. So if you if you are trying to decide where should I go, right? First, look at the regulation. Then pay attention to like where is there a lot of a lot of demand, and then from there you really want to start diving into the data. And I can I can walk through that my my like quick analysis on that if you'd like. Before I turn you loose on the data, I was just going to quickly okay. go back and speak <laughs> to the regulation. You know, for people that are newer to this, wondering, okay, wh- what are the regulations that are out there? So number one, um, there might be rules and regulations around can I operate a short term rental in a city? So here, you know, I'm Minneapolis, St. Paul there's some suburbs that have said, no, you can't operate that. And short-term rental could mean, you know, less than 30 days, you know, however they define it. So there's some cities that just say, no, you can't. There's other cities that might limit the number of short-term rentals that you have. And then there's other spots where it's, there's some sort of association in place. So I know once you get into Florida, there's lots of associations and some associations might say no, or a condo complex, apartment complex, townhouse complex, things like that, where the association might say no. So that's where not only do you have to look at the 
you know, maybe the county level, the city level, you also have to go down and look at the association level to find out because there's certain pockets within a certain city where you might be able to do it here and not do it here. So there is rules and regulations. The best place to start is, is a Google search. The other place to start is to call that city too and say, hey, what rules and regulations do you have? Because while you might you might have been able to fly under the radar in the past before cities had regulations, if you're planning on holding this asset long-term, you want to stay above board with people and you don't want to yeah. have, have a, a very profitable operation running and then find out that the city or the association now learned about it and they're going to shut you down. Now, what are you going to do? So, so better to just follow the rules right off the bat. Hunter, couldn't agree more with that. You, you, <laughs> you just like, I went into Chicago, Chicago had some regulations. I tried to like fall within the regulations. I'm not the best at under, you know, legalese. Like I just really am not. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I ha- like picked up a couple homes that weren't technically legal and it kind of, you know, screwed me over in the long run. And I, you know, I would, I would have, I was trying to follow the rules. I just, you know, misunderstood it, stuff like that. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but it really, really becomes difficult when you have a home that you've invested in that becomes illegal or is illegal to begin with. And I have to try and figure out an exit strategy or a, getting it into a new home or something like that. So yeah. And, and like, it just never works out in the long run. And I would never ever in a million years buy a property that could potentially become illegal, right? If a city doesn't have any regulations in place and they're, but they're talking about it, you know, you just don't want to buy a home there because it likely will, could potentially be legal and then you have to get rid of it. Right. So like mm-hmm. go to places where there's already regulations established. Once they're established, they usually don't like make them that much worse anytime mm-hmm. soon. Right. Yeah. And, and even to think about an exit strategy, you know, there, there is medium term rentals, there is long term rentals. Um, think through like, okay, what would happen if, if something were to, to happen here? What could I do? Um, and, and picking a property where there, there's an acceptable exit strategy if something were to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like even the, uh, there's a guy that, you know, we're looking to buy some properties together. And one thing that he always says is like, you know, worst case scenario, we have to rent this thing out long term. Could we get the rent? You know what I mean? To cover at least mm-hmm. the mortgage. And so that's like one, something that we're paying a lot of attention to with all the different areas that we're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, def always have an exit strategy, but always remember, you know, it is a piece of property. Like you can, you can rent it, right. You know what I mean? Or, or even short-term or like you can get someone in there. Usually I mean, if you're in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than a city, but yeah, usually yep. you're okay. With that being said, yeah. Talk, talk about the analysis here. What are, what are we doing, John? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a very broad question. I don't know. <laughs> so I got to think in five start. minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. We could talk for this about hours, but yeah, I could go, give, go for days. We've targeted an area that we're interested in, what are some some tangible next steps here to take? Okay. This is, this is my 100% standard advice. It's the path that I go for the company that I work for. So just, you know, I'm a full-time short-term rental data analyst for a, uh, or sorry, a, a short-term rental investment fund. I'm the data analyst, right? So I'm looking at Airbnb data all day, every day. Um, and this is the route that I take. Uh, and so I'll explain that route. Now, the issue that I usually see people doing is that they'll find an individual property. So they have like a budget in an area and they'll go, what meets my budget, right? And I mean, like what's within my budget? And then they go and buy that home and turn it into an Airbnb. Hands down the worst way you can do it without a doubt. And the reason Mm -hmm. being is because you don't know if that home in that area is actually going to be really profitable or not. And sometimes people are like, they'll, 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 they'll use a couple of tools out there to like try to reaffirm that, yes, this property that perfectly meets their budget is the one that they should get. Right. But it's really just a kind of backwards way to go because if it, um, you have to go through so many properties over and over again, waiting for them to come online to see if it's actually going to be a good Airbnb or not. So mm-hmm. the way that I recommend going about this is 
take it all the way back to the entire market, right? Take a look at your entire city, all of the data within your city, and then figure out which neighborhoods in that city have the most demand, which areas are making, because whichever has the most demand has the most money being made, right? Um, usually that can be like the cluster of where all the Airbnbs are, um, or you, you can use some of the software tools like AirDNA that are out there to actually understand um, how much money is being made in each one of these different areas. And additionally, you know, like my company helps with this specifically. But the idea is that you want to look at your entire market and narrow it down to the, the zip codes of the neighborhoods that are without a doubt, have the most demand, are making the most money on Airbnb, right? Then from there, what you want to do is you want to be able to figure out uh, which unit size. So like a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom is making the most money out of those uh, in that neighborhood specifically. And then, um, and the reason why the bedrooms is really important is because as an example, in Chicago, a uh, three bedroom in the, in Lincoln Park makes about 60,000, whereas a four bedroom makes about 100,000, right? And the difference between those two in rent, at least, is, is about like $500, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a huge difference in profitability just by having a four bedroom. And the logic behind it is there's no five bedrooms in the area. So the four bedrooms are the biggest. So they can ask the highest premium, whereas the three bedroom can't ask more than a four bedroom. So right. you really want to understand, you have to understand that bedroom count makes a big difference, right? Um, another great example of this is in, in a certain area in Phoenix, um, two bedrooms make 30,000, uh, three bedrooms make 90,000, right? Huge difference. And so really understand what the, the different bedroom sizes. Now, it's not enough to just look at the bedroom size in a neighborhood and say, okay, I'm going to make, you know, whatever, right? There's still additional details about that specific home that are going to drive the revenue. Right. And so you have to figure out what are the details of this home that are going to allow it to do really well. And so what I always do is I look at the top performing properties of that certain unit size in that specific area to figure out what they have that's allowing them to make a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, whatever it may be. Right. Um, so I'll give an example of uh Scottsdale because it's a really easy example and I know it it's back in my head, back in my head. Um in Scottsdale, you've got to have a large backyard. It like First off, you have to have a pool and a pool heater. Like that is without a doubt, I guarantee you have to have that. However, you also have to have a large backyard. And I'm just saying, not just saying like a, a decently sized backyard, a good sized backyard, right? Um, we don't look, we look for properties that have to be at least 7,500 square feet or larger, right? Um, as a total property size. And the reason being is because you actually need like a little putting green in the backyard for people, because that's the biggest driver is, is golf. And so people need to be mm -hmm. able to do that. Uh, you also need to have a fire pit area. You need to have a little outdoor bar with ideally like a cabana, you know, cabana or something like uh, over top. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have uh, lounge chairs and you need to also have like a house that's big enough to have two living rooms so that you can have a pool table in one. You need all of these things because your competition has them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't beat your competition unless you have all of these things. Um, otherwise, you got to expect that you're going to make significantly less money. Right. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to data, right, like when I think of data, I go the entire city, then I figure out the neighborhoods, then I figure out the unit sizes, then I figure out every single amenity and feature within that area in it, it, that are driving the revenue that are allowing people to make the most amount of money. And I create a list of everything. And then mm -hmm. from that list, I know what I need in the home to be able to make X amount of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's the Burger King logic. So, you know, McDonald's spends millions of dollars to figure out what corner to be on Burger King opens up across the street. Right. We're doing the same thing. We're, we're replicating what's already working across the street. And so yeah. the beauty of it is that you can do all this work and you can figure out, okay, you know, four bedrooms can make a hundred thousand dollars. 
and I need all these features. And you have like a list, you essentially have created yourself a buy box of everything that you need. And then you just simply plug into Zillow. I'm looking for a property that's, you know, 500,000 to 600,000. It's a four bedroom within this certain area with a certain square footage that has a pool. And then they'll pop up and then it's like, cool, that home there cash flows, that one there cash flows. And you can just very confidently purchase that property and know exactly what you have to do to hit those numbers. Yeah. Instead of the opposite where you're just like going to the property first, the, the finding the property should be the very last thing you do. Hmm. Right? And one, one thing I was just going to mention quick uh, for folks that are, are newer here and newer to the short-term space, but maybe have investment experience is, you know, I work with investors quite a bit buying multifamily homes, a lot of long-term rentals. Your mindset with long-term rentals is you want to provide a solid place for them to live. And you're looking for solid amenities, but it doesn't have to be over the top. If, if you're looking for like good quality, middle-class type stuff, if you're in the luxury space, that's totally different. So a lot of investors that I work with, they have this mindset around solid, stable, decent you know, investments. When we're looking at something like an Airbnb, we're now in the hospitality business, right? So it's not in the housing business, it's in the hospitality business. And like you touched on a lot of great points in Scottsdale, they want golf, they want a pool, they want a cabana, they want a fire pit. And so you're looking for the amenities are going to accentuate the revenue and the profit that you're going to have versus when I'm looking in the long-term rental space, I'm looking for solid, stable, you know, rental quality type atmosphere. Here you're looking for hospitality quality. Exactly. Like yep. without in the in the thing about uh you know I haven't bought any long-term rentals so I can't really say but I'm assuming you know the the livable solid things are are pretty standard across the board wherever you go. You know you need a solid kitchen, solid bath, um stuff along those lines, right? Yeah. And when they're making decisions around vanities, countertops, flooring, paint, decorate, not even, well, no decorations really in the long-term space, but you're looking for budget-friendly, can hold up well over time. Um, here, it's a different mentality because yeah, you're, you're trying to attract in and drive revenue, drive profit. And so those right. amenities matter. You're, you're in the hospitality business. That's your mindset versus long-term rental. It's, it's a totally different mindset. Exactly. And I'll also say that it changes per market for mm -hmm. the most part, right? You don't need that, that what I just explained for Scottsdale, you don't need that in the Smoky Mountains and you right. wouldn't do very well in the Smoky Mountains if that's what you had, right? Yeah. And so, whereas like you maybe need the exact same thing across the board anywhere in the United States for long-term rental, it changes for a, for a short term and you've got to pay attention to that data. I know like when most people hear data, most of the time when people hear data, they think of numbers, but you know, data could also be, does everybody have a fire pit in their backyard, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's yep. the case, then you go, yep, they do. I need one too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, it, that's kind of the fun data. I, I like to think of it at that way. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, anyways, just want to kind of bring that up. What else now, it, you know, in terms of I've, I found those properties, what, what else do I need to know? Like, honestly, not much. Like that's, that's, if you, if you like the place you're at, you know, the regulations are good. You've gone through the data and you, you have a general idea of how much a, a certain home can make within certain areas. And you know that there's homes for sale in that area that meet that standard or that requirement, then it's really just a matter of like budgeting everything else. So you've now found the magical number, right? So to me, the magical number is what is my top line revenue? Because mm -hmm. everything else is very figureoutable, right? Like what's the cleaning fee going to be? You can you can make some phone calls and figure that out. 
And mm -hmm. so you now can figure out if uh, how profitable the location is going to be for you, right? Um, and like how much it's going to cash flow and all these different things. More importantly, how much you're going to have to spend to get it to that point of uh, what it needs to look like, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's just a matter of just literally making offers that fall within the budget of what you need to make, right? Um, and that's that's really it. You make the offer, and then when it comes to operations, that's not me. <laughs> so right. I don't yep. I don't talk operations. There's so many people on YouTube that talk operations. I try and stay 100% focused on the data. Um, and so my my sort of where I help people with, I end right there, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so. I had a conversation with somebody recently about an Airbnb and they're kind of like, oh yeah, like that, I've, I've seen some people at bottom, like I've heard it's kind of exciting, but wh what are some of those numbers that can draw people in? Like, what can I actually make in cash flow in a month with a high performing Airbnb? Um, so my, it, the, the one thing to keep in mind is that it's seasonal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not the exact same every single month. So whenever I talk, it's not monthly, it's annually that I sort of talk about. Exactly. Rent, right. Yep. Um, and so my best performing property did $40,000 in pure profit, hundred percent profit in my pocket. Um, and the second best was around 30,000 that I had like a few around 20,000. And these are places that I rented. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was I was renting those and that was the they're making about ninety thousand dollars a year. My expenses were about 70, right? So I was pocketing mm -hmm. the other 20. Um, and you know, additionally, I had also a cleaning company, and so the cleaning company was providing me even more money there too. But so what we look for with the fund that I work for is we're looking for like a 15% cash on cash. That's what we mm -hmm. go for all the time. Yep. Um, that's that's sort of our goal. We really like we have a I have a 20% rule that I use. So I'm always looking for areas around the entire country that meet my 20% rule, which is I want um, the revenue, the annual revenue to be 20% of the purchase price. So if it's mm -hmm. going to make $100,000, I want to buy the home for 500, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I can do that, then the odds of hitting like 20% cash on cash or 15% cash on cash goes through the roof, right? And so that's, that's, that's really what I'm looking for you know, for people that have been in the long-term space, you know, sometimes they might hear like $150 a door, $200 a door, $250 a door per month. You're talking about $2,000 per month, $3,000 per month. And there's people that clear five, six, $7,000 per month for their properties. And so that's the upside of, you know, why, why should I learn all these things about regulations and operations and this, that, and the other is, your potential for profit here is significantly higher than a lot of long-term opportunities out there. Yeah, 100%. That's the, uh, the I mean, you're doing more work, but you're making more. But mm -hmm. the, the one thing I can't stress enough is that there are so many people, especially in the United States, that are doing more work and making less money because mm -hmm. they bought in the wrong location. They didn't set it up properly. They they didn't put the the right features in place. They don't know how to take good photos. Like there's so many little things that people have done to like lose. Uh, whereas if you just understood the data, you would know exactly what kind of what the home needs to look like and where it needs to be. Right. And, and then, and then from there, it's all figure outable, like the operate, mm -hmm. like how to talk to the guests and how to do all that stuff. That stuff is so easy, but you can't take a, a the wrong location, the wrong size bedroom and bathroom and operate it the best in the world. You're, you're, you're still going to not make money. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. If I had a three bedroom in that Lincoln Park area in Chicago, uh, I could have been the best host and the best listing in the world, but I probably would have made maybe 70,000. And my expenses would have been almost 70,000. Right. Mm -hmm. 
so you, 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 once you get the right product, right. Or the right location, then, uh, uh, you can figure everything else out. So I can't stress that like enough. Yeah. I think kind of going back to the bigger picture here. Yes. There are tenants that break things. Yes. There are people that do things that they're not supposed to do. And, but at the same time, the opportunity here is great. So like, like the numbers we're talking about, yeah, you can't expect to have all this revenue without having some sort of stressors. There's, there's things you can put in place. There's leverage of people, cleaners, handymen, that sort of stuff that can help you out. There's lots of resources out there of people that'll help you furnish properties, what to buy and all that. Uh, But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity here. And yeah, there's going to be some headaches, but at the same time, the reward here can be great. Exactly. And the, and the, the fact that you're making that much more money at the beginning will, you know, you have to do the work, but you're making a little bit more. But because there's so much extra cash flow, you can eventually get to the point at scale where you can hire somebody to actually take care of all those things for you. Right. So mm-hmm. when I got to like 10 properties, I think it might have even been like seven or eight, I, I ended up hiring on somebody um to manage everything and like they were taking care of the vast majority of all the little day-to-day operations right mm-hmm. um and i i did that because i got her to run the cleaning company which saved me like enough to pay her a salary and then she mm-hmm. pretty much took over like everything right mm-hmm. and so uh it, it you know there's enough money coming through that it allows you to be able to do that um after a certain number of properties so something to keep in mind as well awesome yeah. well thanks so much john appreciate you coming on you know, if, if there's people that are like, Hey, this, this data thing sounds awesome. I want to be able to learn more. How can they find you and what are you going to teach them? Yeah. So you can read, you can email me and we can hop on for a free consultation. I like, I really enjoy meeting everybody that I work with. So, um, my email is hello at pointanalytics.co. That's mm-hmm. hello at pointanalytics.co. Um, and you know, a lot of what we talked about today was sort of the it's hard to go through numbers without being able to actually show the numbers. But yeah. the main thing that my company provides are reports to help people figure out where the most profitable location is within their city. Um, and I have a free course that goes along with that. That's like over two and a half hours of teaching you everything you need to know to be able to get to that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that report has all of the numbers, all of the data, all of the information, like everything you need. And it's the exact same report that I use on a daily basis for, for work. So, um, yeah, that's, if you're, if you're looking for something like that, if you really love your numbers, if you really want to be hundred percent confident about your purchase, uh, my company without a doubt can help you do that. Well, thanks so much for coming on, John. I appreciate it. Appreciate everything that you shared. Yeah. You're just a wealth of information. And, and we, we talked offline beforehand about how, you know, you get the, the benefit of being great in real estate is you get to use this information to help others, but also for, for your own personal gain. So if, if, if you want to have your own investments, you get to use this information for your own good. And so um, that's the beauty here. That's why real estate, you know, building wealth through real estate is, is such a fantastic tool. And so um, you're just an example of that, of doing it personally, doing it to help others, you know, the job that you're in and to be able to help others build wealth and, and create that time freedom. Like you said, yeah, the worst thing in the world is, oh my gosh, I built this so big. Now I have to hire somebody else to run it for me instead of me doing it by myself. So yeah. not not a bad problem to be. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much, John, for coming on. I appreciate having you on.